be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is supply chain to supply circle. And our guest for today's show are Rick Blaskin, who is the president and CEO of the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good morning. So live trading, well. you good? Yes, it is. Everything's uh, terrific. And uh, the weather is beautiful here in Chicago, which is uh, where I'm from as well. Beautiful. And we also have Brian Ball, who's the Vice President and Principal Analyst on Supply Chain Management with Aberdeen Group. Good morning, Brian. How's life treating you? Good morning. Life is good, and uh, the weather is not quite as nice as maybe Chicago, but it's still okay. So where are you from? I'm in Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. So is it giving you the heat waves, or or, or it's settling down, or you're already into ah, fall? Settling down, just a little overcast, that's all. All right, good, good. So here, uh, the topic that we picked today, uh, supply chain to supply circle, and uh, this this seems like uh, a changing trend or maybe a hypothesis, and that's what we're going to be exploring on this show. What we want to talk about is to first define the supply circle for for some of the people out there who are listening. Supply circle might mean something uh, which is so esoteric or profound or maybe not heard of. So maybe starting with you, Rick, what is your definition or in, 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 the, in the supply chain world, what has been uh, defined as supply circle? Well, I think it means the um, ability to acquire raw materials, ingredients, packaging supplies, convert them into a good. That good gets transferred throughout the supply chain to a consumer where it does some good. And then in many instances, there are components of those products that are brought back to be reconfigured or reused, and thereby sort of closing a loop or a, creating a circle for some component parts to be used once again. And it supports sustainability and environmentally friendly goals and things of that nature for those products that lend themselves to that type of supply circle. And let me just add to that. This is Brian. Um, I, I think a, a key point here is that uh, looking at those supply circles, what are the uh, what's the level of ecosystem that might exist? What percentage of the products might be able to be recycled, so to speak? So um, certainly not everything, but uh, I would like to think that uh, the, the greater the percentage you can, the more efficient you can become. So. Right, and if you think about uh, this, Rick, again, a company like uh, Lowe's Xerox or 3M, and you think about uh, uh, copier cartridges for decades now, 
those cartridges have been successfully brought back to a manufacturing facility to be uh, reconfigured with, uh, with ink again to be used uh, over and over again, uh, which, of course, uh, is part of what we call today's supply chain circle and, and lends the, a product like that to um, uh, less of environmental impact. Yeah, I, I would agree, and I think that the other thing is there's a point where it, I think in some supply chains, if you will, uh, until it becomes scarce, the model for or the economics for don't support it, but once it becomes more scarce or more competitive, all of a sudden there's someone finds a way, and I think that's mm-hmm. the uh, the exciting part. Uh, you know, just envision uh, tires as an example, sort of uh, – no one really knows what to do with them, but uh, as as we get more and more, it becomes there are some use models that say, "Hey, this is how we can recycle tires." Not that it's prevalent, but uh, people are finding a way. Not necessarily in the tire industry, but uh, in some other industries. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, uh, question is that: Is this primarily a business profitability motivated, or is it primarily something that we want to feel good about as a good PR effort across the supply chain entities? Well, I, I kind of think it's a little bit of both. Uh, if companies can figure out a way to lower costs and have an environmentally friendly process, they're going to do it. Uh, even if there's added costs, they'll challenge themselves to see what can be changed within their business process to limit the amount of impact on the environment or their, within their supply chain so they can ensure that they have uh, the necessary uh, focus, if you will, on minimizing you know, their carbon footprint and things of that nature, but trying to do the right things with packaging, disposing of packaging and things of that nature. And they're beginning to bring that. Well, they have been bringing that back into their, the research and development process with the total supply chain in mind. So I think it's, it's, it's coming into its own, and, and companies are figuring out a way how to lower costs and thereby uh, doing the right thing without increasing their costs or, or having a negative impact on their profit margins. How hard yeah, I'd, are I'd, companies I'd, I'd today? I the same sentiments. I think there's uh, it's it, there's a, a good bit of both. I do think for most companies, unless they're the gorilla or they're vertically integrated, though, um, unless they have that leverage to go drive behavior uh, amongst their supply base, um, they're probably going to be more profit-driven. But uh, I think certainly anyone that, um, yeah, if they have the opportunity to, to climb on board and do things that are that are sort of more environmentally friendly, they'll, they'll do that and they'll support it. But uh, the key is being able to leverage. Um, and when it gets to the point where it makes sense, then you see those changes exist. I'd also like to suggest that I don't know that this is all that. I mean, I, I think the process is somewhat been built into business all along. I think it's more a matter of best practice at this point, not that it's just um, maybe getting initiated now. I think uh, a lot of companies just take steel as an example, recycling their scrap and grades of steel and sorting the metals out as an example. Um, You know, they get a higher grade, a higher level of quality. So a lot of those things have been figured out. Um, I think the challenge is as you get new materials and more materials and various products, how do you then take those end products and then extract the pieces out of it and, and get them recycled back efficiently? And that's, that's probably where the challenge comes in. So, mm-hmm. 
Now, how hot is the market for this? One is to say, okay, this is something new. Let's try it out and let's try to transform and see how it happens versus this becomes a corporate directive that that's the only way we will be exchanging our material and this is how our assembly line is going to work and this is how supply chain will be permanently transformed into. So, Rick, do you think that's what is happening or is this is just still a sandbox stage? Well, I think it depends upon industry and, and what the corporate directives are. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, when you think about sustainability early on, it was much more of a public relations campaign. You know, no company is going to, to publish something that is negative, if you will, with regard to their implications on the environment. They'll come out and talk about how their manufacturing facilities and their supply chains in total are, are not corrupting, um, you know, environmental actions and things like that. However, it has moved substantially now into when we create uh, a supply chain around a product, this, this concept is in mind. You know, what are we doing with wastewater? What are we doing with packaging and, and disposing of packaging? Even in the transportation system, how can we minimize the uh, negative impact on, on roads and, and pollution and emissions and things like that? So, I mean, it is near and dear to a supply chain executive's heart to make sure they're creating a supply chain that has the environment in mind. And I think it does, it does depend upon the product it depends upon the cost of the product in terms of how much leeway they have in creating a supply chain that is much more environmentally friendly than in the past. So I think it's grown, it's grown from maybe sandbox to sandy beach, where they're seeing a, a much more wide perspective of this in total. Um, but it does depend upon industry. So yeah, I, again, again I probably have to agree. I, I think that uh, the uh, one of the things that we've seen in our research. Um, at Aberdeen is that uh, typically that, that, that sustainability is driven or left up to somebody more on the product engineering or, if you will, a sustainability guru. Um, and supply chain typically is more in a support role than a leadership role. I think that's starting to shift where in some cases they have to go out and seek suppliers and drive some of that sustainability in the supply base. But there's no question that it's it's high on the list in the product design cycle or life cycle management, if you will. So um, it, it's it's much more prevalent. It's not just go out and find a source. It's designed for manufacturability and sustainability at the same time. So research supports. That's where it's headed. Now, at what point would you say it is kind of fully cooked that you can bring this into a mainstream across the, the supply chain versus trying it out in, in, in isolated uh, instances so that we remove the kinks. Uh, Brian, what do you see people doing? To what degree they are saying, let's go full throttle versus let's try it out isolated in a, in a lab environment? Yeah, I, I think there's a, the challenge would be if there's a mandate to go make a certain percentage, I think those are the ones that probably – uh, those those initiatives would be the ones that uh, are uh, going to be challenged to be successful. I think it's much more a model of uh, where it makes sense and economic sense, and we can gain competitive advantage. I think that's where companies are. are that's going to be the driver, the bigger driver. Um, that doesn't mean it's entirely profit driven. I think, for example, let's let's take a long term view. For example, I might be able to make spot buys in the scrap market that uh, you know enable me to be much more cost effective in the short term. However, I realize that there are long term providers of scrap that it's best that I have a 
partnership with those guys and I buy a certain percentage because of the quality of what they do and they're going to be around. So that that's more the sustainable view. So there, there's more than one variable in there. And, I, and again, I happen to be thinking of metals. It could be packaging. It could be sort of anything that's a commodity that, that uh, or, or a raw material that get, gets rolled back into the production cycle. So I don't know that, that mandates are going to be the direction as much as where it makes sense. I think the trial and error can be expensive, um, and but I, I do think that people are looking that even in the design. They'll they'll build that into the modeling right up front. So I don't know that it's actually so trial and error when they actually are doing the modeling. I think it's much more, hey, we can garner the facts and make this effective if we if we work at it. You know, one other thing I'd like to point out uh, as well, and, and again, this is Rick. You know, I grew up in the food industry, and one of the things that the food industry back then was very good at was minimizing the amount, for example, of empty miles a truck would ride, or even inside a distribution center, how do we how do we make forklifts even more productive so that they're traveling around a very large distribution center with product? In other words, my point was the logistics components of that were were green before green was cool, if you will. I mean, we, we tried to produce products with more net weight than gross weight. In other words, limit the amount of packaging. Uh, we attempted to make sure that as I mentioned, our trucks were running more full than less full for more miles so that we can be more efficient with the dollars we used in transport, uh, inventory management techniques and things, minimize the amount of inventory that was at rest so that we can continue to move inventory around the supply chain. So, and, and a lot of that was driven because the cost from a logistics standpoint as a percentage of sales was maybe 6 to 8%, whereas in healthcare it might be minuscule, less than 1%. So depending upon industry, there was a focus on being more efficient and effective with all of the, the functional areas within the supply chain, and that resulted in environmentally friendly attitudes before this was even a, a major a component part of what it is today. So I think, again, it depends upon industry, but it is certainly mainstream in most industries and becoming even more so because of the, the influence that, that uh, we all have and, and the, uh, the positive uh, impact we can have when, when things are done correctly. Uh, yeah, this is Brian again. I love the, 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 the freight and logistics example. I mean, that's a great one. For example, if you look at logistics or the freight as an industry themselves, um, you, know, may, you know, providing backhauls or becoming more efficient, you know, mileage um, that's got freight in it, um, all of a sudden their costs drop on a per-delivered uh, commodity, if you will. And this is honestly where the IT thing comes in or the IT side of the world comes in. Being able to do that in real time and create backhauls and leverage markets so that, you know, um, transport routes are much more efficient and uh, there's less wasted miles. And, and the same thing with the warehousing. Again, another great example that you brought up, Rick, is the, uh, the directed put-away. So when I complete uh, one, one transaction, if you will, in the warehouse, um, because of my systems that are now available, I, rather than going to some central dispatch to get the next uh, next set of orders, I can, you know, via radio or be uh, handheld, uh, it tells me the next move, and so I don't waste moves in the warehouse. So, and again, this this is where, the you know, I'd say the systems have really improved and, and driven a lot of efficiency there. 
Now, let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, uh, let's talk about the very intent. One is, of course, we all are, are trying to see as this the new frontier for supply chain, moving into supply circle, and we want all of us to kind of work, come together as the, the links in the supply chain and work and exchange information and exchange the, the forecasting, et cetera, for us to make it really uh, valuable and successful. But does that intent exist to support another party who otherwise you're squeezing down to the last penny in order to get your profitabilities and margins up? What is the ecosystem today and what is going to be that radically different in terms of your management or what you'll propose to your complementary partners, which will make them have a change of heart and start working together with each other? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Rick, question for you. Um, do you think, uh, while everybody is trying to do this, and maybe there are isolated entities who are more charged up than others in, in a given supply chain, is the intent to really make the other person profitable, or is it still the old time where I'm going to squeeze every penny out of my fellow supplier downstream value chain? Yeah, no, I, one of the words that we use within the supply chain world is collaboration, and it really comes down to the horizontal participants, if you will, within the supply chain, sharing information and working as best they can together to minimize inefficiencies in the supply chain. For example, if I'm a, a grocery manufacturer, a food manufacturer, I can work with the retailers that sell my products to the consumers to better forecast. If I'm more accurate in understanding what the consumer is going to buy and when, given holidays and weekends and things like that, I can better position inventory and I can better produce inventory to minimize uh, obsolescence and minimize waste. So if you take that concept and apply it to the supply chain circle with what we're discussing today, participants within the supply chain will, in fact, share information which will allow them both to reduce their overall costs and improve their profitability. That's a concept that leading-edge and progressive companies today 
are employing across their supply chain. It's, 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 it's a very um, um, sort of trustworthy concept. You have to trust each other in each partnership within the supply chain. But the benefits are truly remarkable when you're able to share additional information across the supply chain with which to make better decisions. So I think it won't be uh, – and, and there's always one case where, you know, you have a partner a partnership and yet you have a senior partner and a junior partner uh, where somebody's just trying to, to – to do what they can to minimize their costs and increase their profitability by, uh, by uh, you know, a carrot, and a, uh, more of a, a stick method than a carrot. But most supply chain senior folks understand collaboration. The long-term benefits are truly, um, truly achievable for both partners, and it's a win-win situation. So if we were to say that intent is there to help each other and this collaboration term that you have used, is this something that already existed or is there just a myth out there that people are going through this dog-eat-dog world where we are trying to squeeze every penny and trying to negotiate to the last degree with our suppliers? Is that just a myth? Well, I don't think it's a myth, uh, and I love Brian's uh, uh, view on this as well. I mean, I, there are examples within industry of companies working together. For example, take the automobile industry. Toyota and Honda have long been held up as supply with their, working with their suppliers and actually in ch- exchanging engineers within their companies so that they can understand what innovation exists and what creativity exists to allow both parties to produce a better automobile and do it with uh, you know better, faster, cheaper, and, and expand their ability to innovate and be creative. There are lots of examples out there where people have finally figured out that, you know, me beating you over the head is not going to make my long-term success achievable. Working together across that horizontal supply chain is a much better approach for the long term and will produce much better results. I would absolutely agree and echo the same comments. In fact, in in most discussions, maturity level in the supply chain is, is deemed to be more about the degree of horizontal or holistic in view that supply chain is, and maybe with the ultimate meaning that we've designed a supply chain around a product. In other words, it's product-centric supply chains and not just one supply chain fits all. But clearly the collaboration is, 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 is a real key. No, it's not a myth. It, it exists. I think one of the areas, and, and I'll sort of add another industry spec to it or take to it, is in the retail side of it, um, where typically where they are not necessarily manufacturers, but they are partnering with all their manufacturers in supply. Um, the challenge has always been that level of trust. Uh, you know, take example in terms of consumer electronics, the manufacturers, they always fear are going to stuff the channel with models before the, uh, the old model, before they come out with a new model, and therefore obsolete what's on the shelf. Um, think in terms of where Dell sort of cracked that code and kept turning it over more quickly um, than the guys that were stuffing the channel, if you will. So that's an example. But think in terms of collaboration now where instead of trying to forecast what the retailer is going to do, which is their replenishment, that's really a dependent demand, and they're really trying to get to the what's the sell-through um, for that particular customer rather than the sell-into. So when you're really dealing with the, the holistic view of it, I want to understand what the end user is going to buy and then the retailer and the manufacturer work together to come up with this collaborative fulfillment model, if you will. What happens and has happened, and this is where one of the keys is, how do you see these dollars in your supply chain drop to the bottom line? I'll give you a quick example. So when this happens, all of a sudden, because I've eliminated the forecast error, I don't have as much 
um, obsolescence, if you will, because I'm not stuffing the channel. Therefore, there's not as many markdowns. At the manufacturer's side, the markdown allowance drops and falls to the bottom line. So on the manufacturer's side, you know, a lot of my cost goes away. On the retail side, my cost for markdowns and, and sell-off go down, and, and both win. The buyer gets rewarded because his return on investment, less inventory, and uh, more profit per item due to less markdowns. Um, everybody wins. It's really a win-win model. The challenge is getting to that level of trust, and that's usually where you start getting outside the four walls and across boundaries. Um, that's where the you know the frontier still exists. As Rick mentioned, I'd say the more progressive companies, the leaders, um, they're they're getting past that now. I mean, they they've made this thing work. So, but the point is that's where you see the dollars fall to the bottom. So it does pan out and it, it does uh, result in uh, more profitability. Now, oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say part of it is this this discipline, if you will, logistics and supply chain management has been somewhat abstract for the years. I, when I give presentations on it, I often use the analogy of a wire between the switch and the light. Uh, when you come into a room, you flip the switch, the light goes on, you typically don't call your power company up and thank them. It's because it's expected. And that's what we have, we have done within logistics. We expect our products to be available at a good price, at least in this country, and, and, and reasonably configured in a style that we as consumers want them, and yet we have no idea how it, uh, how it arrives there. Uh, if you're talking to someone at a cocktail party, as an example, they ask what you do. Well, I'm in supply chain management. They'll say, oh, what's that mean? Well, when's the last time you've been to a store? Well, yesterday, and I bought something there. And Well, how'd you, how did it get there? Well, it got there from the back room. Really? Well, how did it get to the back room? And that's where the typical you know, consumer just doesn't think about what's on a truck or what's on a train or, or how products are arriving at this, these different types of locations of, from vending machines to, to big box uh, category stores. Uh, it, we've just made it such a transparent industry and business, and yet we've got a lot of education to do. And inside that, the partners are working together, as Brian illustrated, uh, on this collaborative way to eliminate waste and create a much more productive and efficient supply chain in total. Now, I think the mantra within the, the supply chain I call practice, if you will, is always trying to do more with less. I mean, it's it's almost based on driving inefficiency out. What's the better, faster, cheaper way? The more latency I can take out of the supply chain, either in decision-making or in physical processes, then the less I have to carry an in inventory and the less error I will have in terms of either what I make um, or, you know, what I commit my capacity to. So the more real, in other words, know that I've got 100% requirement for what it is I'm, I'm producing that day, uh, then the more efficient I am. To say that it's going to get to that 100%, it never gets there. But to, op, you know, to constantly drive for that, that magic holy grail that, um, you know, it's in real time and there are no errors and there is no latency, that's really the trick. Um, and I think that's really where everybody concentrates their efforts. Um, systems have been the enabler to get there. Um, the the processes and practices and the maturity uh, of companies to see that you know if we work together on this thing, we can it, it's it's much more efficient and we both win rather than I win you lose. Um, at some point, someone's going to get tired of that model. So. Right. Right. 
Now, while you say this, I win, you lose, this brings up an important point. Do you have or do you think this or industries when the supply chains that exist today have a clear idea that I'm going to spend X, so I'm going to get Y as return and across different entities? Is that balanced for them to really come together and say, I'm going to spend and I'm going to only make 2% increase uh, in my profitability and the other company will get 30%. So is there a, some kind of uh, give back or a... Um, you know, charge back kind of a, you know, model that has been put in place so that people feel equally motivated to work on it versus saying, I'm going to put so much and then I'm going to get just a meager result. So why, why even bother? Well, uh, this is Rick. I I think there are examples um, for companies to work with their third party logistics providers, if you will, and share rewards if they are working together to eliminate cost or waste. There are contracts that are written uh, between parties like that to, to ensure that they are sharing rewards and not one party is winning over the other, and that allows incentive to lower total costs within the supply chain. And likewise, I think there are manufacturers and retailers working together to minimize out-of-stocks at shelf because they'll, they'll be able to elevate their uh, their sales, if you will, and their profit. So, you know, I think I think there there are always those cases where someone's trying to win over their partner. Those, um, what we have seen in, within supply chain anyway, is those relationships tend to falter over time. The ones that have long-term um, uh, sustainability within these relationships are ones where they're working together with common goals and objectives to achieve an, an, a desired result where they both participate in, in the reward sharing and incentives based upon that relationship. So, I mean, I, I think that's alive and well, and particularly supply chain people are pretty good at that because they see such a wide purview of how a company operates both not only within the company but outside the company on the supplier side and on the customer side as well. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, so, yeah, Brian, can you hold your thought? We'll be right back after this sure. break, and, and uh, we'll continue. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We live in an Instant On world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So take it away, uh, Brian. Yeah, so we were, we were discussing the... Um 
where might some of the challenges be in terms of, uh, I think, this holistic view? And, again, the holistic view, view being, you know, from the consumer maybe all the way back to the raw materials. So that would imply that many companies are involved. There might be someone who's completely vertically integrated that handles all piece of it, but not, not too many. So I think where some of the challenges are for companies when you're working supply chain to supply chain, I think it's much more effective. I think one of the challenges are at the boundaries where you've got, you know, a buying team and a sales team and getting them on board and believing in or supporting or understanding, you know, what their role is um, relative to, call it, you know, the, the, the supply, chain, supply chain decision-making along the, along the way. So it's at the boundaries where there are some issues. And uh, I think, again, the more, more sophisticated companies, the more le- – the greater the leaders, the, I think those things are melting away, but they still exist, and in some cases um, harder to overcome. And where one cannot leverage and they get dictated to, I think those are those are the challenging areas. The other one is, and I'd, I'd like to pick up on, is where there is an actual, you know, the, there's a volatility. There's a, a an issue of what happened in the supply chain, and all of a sudden there's a shortage. Or, or the the price can't be controlled. What do companies do about that? Because mm-hmm. um, that can destroy a relationship between a supplier and and a and a customer, where you feel like you're getting gamed. And and I think Rick brought out having these longer term agreements in place help manage that situation. But then from the the flip side is so how do companies um, uh, protect against that? And I think there's honestly some room to discuss. Let's bring in the financial guys on this and figure out where do we need to hedge. Uh, maybe great... you need to hedge in terms of, of fuel. You may be in terms of raw material, um, you know, commodities, if you will, or even in currency, so that these surprises um, are minimized in terms of how they hit the supply chain. It's Most a really great force last year. A, a great point Brian makes there. Uh, you know, when you think about prior to the recession. There was a lot of activity within the supply chain around globalization, and a lot of companies moved manufacturing to China and other uh, parts of the world in, 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 in that quest for lowest li- delivered cost, um, if you will. In other words, if I can manufacture over in China with the labor rates being what they were back then, my total cost within the supply chain is lower. Therefore, I can either uh, heighten my margin or lower my cost and improve my my market share. Well, what's happened of late is that given that, the, the labor rates in China, as an example, have increased so substantially where the gap between the United States and China in manufacturing costs is almost eliminated, forcing companies to rethink that strategy and then possibly move manufacturing closer to their consumer base. So the environment around us has an implication on what we do. Think about energy costs. Uh, when a barrel of oil shot up to $147 per barrel, uh, that had a huge implication on the transportation system and the cost of transporting goods around the world. So there are things that go on around us, as, as Brian said, at the, at the fringes or at the margins that impact our relationships uh, within supply chain partners. Yeah. One, now, one other thing is the political end of it. Um, for example, where um, company or countries, excuse me, are trying to protect their industries, and I, and I sort of look at, um, not to pick on them, but in Latin America, they're, where they're trying to, to develop fledgling industries, um, the duties and tariffs are prohibitive. You almost have to put your company on the ground there because trying to ship into the country is just, it just drives the cost so high that, that you're not competitive. So 
So as a result, you've got these pseudo, you know, supply chain rules that that you're having to deal with versus a, a global ecosystem. In other words, I, I like the idea that there's a global ecosystem. I would suggest, though, that in reality, because of the different goals that countries might have, it doesn't necessarily exist. And they're supporting some industries, um, and they're trying to protect them so they can develop their own economies. And and those are the areas where sounds like a good idea, but I just can't change what they're going to do, so to speak. Now, in both cases, whatever that you've uh, uh, spoken about in terms of the challenges, especially which are external to us. Now, supply chain leaders and correspondingly IT leaders, since this is CIO Talk Radio, we would want to bring in the IT component. Both of them are trying to work together to insulate their supply chain uh, and, and see how you can try to keep getting the business humming and not getting uh, impact adversely, at least minimize the impact that's there. So so things outside of us are going to happen. We know that. They could get much worse if we have not seen worse enough or it could get better. But in either case, what you want is continuity and a progressive growth pattern. What is supply chain leader doing today alongside other supporting entities, which includes IT, Make sure that you're insulated from the external environments to the maximum degree you can, and also show a progressive path where supply chain gets leaner and leaner, thus adding to your right. top-line growth and bottom-line savings. That's Rick, a great what, point. Great yeah, point. Rick. And for, for decades now, logistics leaders and supply chain leaders have often had terrific relationships with their IT partners. Um, information technology has been a substantial impact on our, us becoming much more effective in what we do. We can replace variability with good visibility tools. We understand where our inventory is all across the supply chain. So first and foremost, the relationship between the logistics professional and the IT professional has, has always been solid. So when we think about globalization, as a matter of fact, one could be very concerned about losing sight of your inventory. And in the supply chain world, when we replace bad inventory with good information, it's a substantial positive impact on what we do. So technology and visibility tools in general have proven to be a productivity um, uh, increase uh, to what we do and a really element of what it is that we do to improve our, our, our supply chain performance. So, you know, today... Uh, we have much better tools. We can move inventory or information, if you will, between Chicago and Beijing at a moment's notice. And that information is more accurate. It's more timely. We can make better decisions with that. So that, those technology innovations will continue to allow us to understand not only where inventory is, but understand the impact of all the different components or links within the supply chain. And so replacing variability with good visibility tools, better information, always allows us to be much more successful. And I think for the and I would agree with the partnership uh, IT and supply chain uh, they they're kind of hand in glove and and I would like to suggest that the supply chain has driven a lot of of, of the uh, the systems and application development you know where where we're trying to grind out the efficiency if you will I think one of the 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 issues for my my partner in the IT world is that okay we're talking about collaboration which Rick mentioned earlier which is really where, where people find themselves, okay, how do I get outside my four walls and connect to my partners and make those things more efficient? The, the tools exist, the enablers exist. How do I do that sort of universally where it becomes ubiquitous? I mean, everybody is connected to everyone to some degree. Um, for, the, for the IT leader, the challenge is, okay, I have to justify this somehow. Where do I show the savings? 
And so working with them to come up with, you know, what does collaboration deliver to the to the bottom line and back to the example I used earlier where we could point to where, all right, the markdown allowance goes away, obsolescence goes away, you know, helping them come up with the, the business case to support um, the need to go, you know, create that, that connective node or that connect that connectivity uh, application, if you will, put that in place where it becomes quite easy. Because the ERPs, and to this point, have sort of dominated, and so we're getting beyond the four walls, and now you're connecting these things together. So um, I think that's where, where it's been more, call it in-house focused, taking it out-house and working with suppliers, not necessarily staffed that way. So how do we make that work? How do we help them with that? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think helping with the business cases where we fit in on the supply chain side. Now, one is that we have the IT person uh, working together with supply chain, but would we still see IT and the leadership as more of an enabler versus an order taker in a way with what's all the, all the jazzy strategies that are created or new innovative models that are created are just uh, driven by supply chain person and the IT uh, crew just you know executes on it, or would you think that IT has demonstrated enough understanding about supply chain that they could lead and or drive innovation in this space? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Rick. Well, I was just thinking about my career in, in the food industry. It was a great example uh, back when I was with Nabisco, where we took a supply chain leader who had a, a technical uh, uh, aspiration or understood technology, and that person became the leader of the information systems group that supported logistics. So, you know, the old days where you would produce a functional specification and what you would get back from IT was nothing like you intended, it eliminated that. We had someone who really understood the supply chain business process running the, the information technology group that produced the systems that we were going to in, import to apply to our business. And, boy, did that really work out. And that model became very prevalent with a lot of consumer packaged goods companies back then, where you took a leader, a business leader, who not necessarily was a programmer, but was a business-savvy person who went to run the very IT organization that delivered its value to back to the logistics and supply chain organization. So I mean, that's why I think there's been this critical link between IT and, and, and the practitioner side, if you will, to understand what functionality we can improve upon given technology improvements to make us do a better job between our supplier and our customer. And so they became, and I think even today, the IT leaders out there who understand that business process, make suggestions and make uh, innovative solutions and creative idea generation to employ within the supply chain because they understand that business process. But more importantly, they understand the technology that is available for us to employ within our supply chain. And they are a true partner uh, in that entire process. Yeah, I, I think the uh, um, the leadership they can provide, honestly, um, in a lot of the, the direction is we may come up with, gee, because we can we can create the algorithm and solve the problem, therefore we should get the answer. I think the the, the challenge faced um, on the technology side is that sounds simple, but what's the right deployment model? For example. Right. Should we move to the cloud? Maybe that's more sustainable for us. Maybe that lowers our total cost of, of deployment down the road. Um, and then also, as, as we've discussed these applications, think about the, the big data issues that we run into. I mean, now we, rather than having, you know, one point-to-point node, I've got multiple nodes in multiple countries and multiple ports 
and I'm trying to maintain that visibility just to stay even, but I may have 10x the, the number of pieces of data I've got to deal with. And, and so it's the, the volume of the data, it's the variety, and, and it's the speed with which we need to see the data. So you've got all those three components adding to this data issue. So um, guiding us along the way and, and making sure that we're not getting ourselves in a trap on on literally managing the, the, the big data problem or the big data challenge, if you will. And then also what's the more sustainable longer-term deployment or, or you know, those are things that I, I almost, boy, I, I want my IT partner there with me because that is not my, you know, that's, I may have an appreciation for it, but that's, that's certainly not the, uh, you know, where I spend my time, um, you know, solving that problem. And, and there's real leadership there because some of the slowdowns in systems, if you will, or some of the challenges faced and the costs faced, you know, can be pretty horrendous if we don't manage that correctly. Now, when we talk about the industry verticals, do you think there are certain industries which, in fact, uh, I will be coming back from a break and we'll discuss this, but I at least want to put the question out there. In terms of which particular industry or the type of business uh, or the type of supply chain which could best utilize or get the most value out of this transformation from supply chain to supply circle? Let's explore this when we come back, and please, uh, so please stay tuned. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjay Gall. Welcome back. So from an industry vertical standpoint, which ones are the ones who could get the most benefit out of it? Brian. Um, the ones that come to mind for me that I think there's still a lot of room might be uh, in the retail area. I, I, I think, for example, metals have done a lot when they when you think in terms of their scrap packaging the same way in terms of the recycling and reuse and um, uh, reconstitution, if you will. I think where you, you look at industries and you say um, connecting the, the consumer products with the Manufacturers, I think retail is an area where um, gaining benefit or having that richer dialogue between retailers and manufacturers can produce a lot more of, of the supply circle. And simple things like recyclable packaging that, 
you know, might deliver the point of use and then return it. Um, how can I just be more efficient, as I discussed earlier, in terms of, you know, rather than trying to forecast a replenishment plan, I'm really forecasting the sell-through to the consumer. And I think those, um, you know, provide rich benefits uh, to the retail area. Um, so that's one area that I see that I think is, is, uh, can really benefit from this. You know, another one I believe is healthcare. Uh, there is a lot of work going on now within the healthcare distribution of manufacturers within their supply chain. And just think about inventories at pharmacies or inventories in hospitals. Uh, there's long been an issue there with, um, with accuracy, if you will, and how do I best manage inventory of uh, pills and medical devices and things like that that are within that supply chain. So there is a lot of action going on now in healthcare distribution to take best practices from other industries and employ them all across those supply chains, given regulation that's coming down. But, you know, just it's the right thing to do, and they now have the technology and the experience and expertise with which to employ that. So I think there, from industry to industry, there will be a, a certain amount of, of this type of supply circle activity that will be employed because they can learn from others and, and achieve a much better result if they begin to work together in a collaborative way. Now, with all this is going on, of course, you would like the international boundaries to be blurred and you'd like one set of standards and benchmarks to be established and everybody talking the same lingo. How far are we from that nirvana? Well, I mean, this is Rick again. I mean, I think from a, a sophisticated supply chain standpoint, we're much further along that way. However, there are infrastructure issues to deal with. Uh, we, we opened up an office last year in Mumbai in India, and there are issues with infrastructure within a country like that that there's a logistics and supply chain people have to deal with. Um, and, and that's being done on a daily basis. And yet we'll, we'll be able to employ sophisticated Western world methodologies on a, on a marketplace like that um, that will elevate their ability to, to, to gain momentum. And, and achieve the, de the desired results. So supply chain folks are a very uh, cooperative bunch with regard to global issues and, and, and transferring best practices. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think when you can get the supply chain to supply chain kind of interaction, you get a much more holistic view and a much more holistic solution and uh, the end-to-end -end view. And, and, you know, break it down the boundaries is, is probably, you know, that's always this, this uh, the issue that you run into at the boundaries is, is always the challenge. Uh, but, again, I think where models have uh, prevailed and win-win and, uh, has is, is been seen, um, holding those up as the example to, to follow, I, I think certainly, you know, it's like the success story and, and uh, people want to follow that. And, and so I think it's a matter of just um, it's education, it's training, it's, it's, um, you know, making sure that people have access to that information. And, uh, you know, then you have to have leaders in place that, that will drive that. And I think Rick mentioned and we're starting to mention, you know, what's happening on the education side and, and uh, that we're now producing people with those kinds of degrees and those kinds of, you know, areas of expertise. So, Rick, you might want to follow or comment on that as we were well, talking. Well, thank you, yeah, Brian. I mean, I think supply chain management within companies is much more of a core competence a core competent discipline, if you will, and our universities are producing students that are just so much better qualified, so much better educated within common and modern-day supply chain logistics theory. So they're coming out with a, with a knowledge base that is second to none, and so companies are beginning to employ them and, and, and accelerate their ability to, to generate more revenue within a supply chain as opposed to just controlling costs. So as this discipline evolves, 
into a mainstream discipline, and we're, we're seeing supply chain leaders become general managers of companies. Uh, look at the last, the current leader of Walmart and the last leader of Walmart. They came out of their logistics base. So, I mean, it's a, it, it is a, it's a profession that is becoming dominant within companies, again, because of what we see, our cooperative nature and the interpersonal skills and leadership skills that supply chain leaders have to have in order to be successful. So as we move, uh, move further along this globalization path, uh, it's clear to me that this profession will continue to elevate itself and become even much more substantial within progressive companies. Okay, 30 seconds each. What either each of you would recommend or appeal to the IT leader in respective companies where they're either uh, contemplating going to the supply circle model or they're already under having this initiative underway to do differently or better in order to support the transformation? Rick. I'd say go work with your partner. Go live in their shoes and understand what it is that they're faced with each and every day, their challenges, their opportunities. Really understand the physical movement of goods, how technology can help that along, and really work within the supply chain to understand what it is that people are facing each and every day. Brian? I would echo the same comments. I think the partnering and internal collaboration is the key, and understanding you know, where the issue really exists. And the other thing, too, is um, let's realize that no one's got all the answers. Um, and I think, you know, being uh, receptive or, or just uh, open to let's explore a few things. For example, the, the supply chain guys don't have all the answers either. And then I hearken back to, look, we really need help on how to deploy this best and, you know, how can I help you with the business model on this? And so the, the internal collaboration and working together is the key. Thank you so much again, Rick and Brian, uh, for sharing your thoughts on this subject. Yes, it is an evolution, and yes, we are making uh, strides in, in the right direction, it looks like, but there's a lot to come, and of course, uh, we have right intent, uh, and perhaps the success is the only thing we will see in the coming years. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care, and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sanjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix. Offering go-to assist, remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready?